Amen. Wow. God's good. You know, it's amazing when your, your, <clears throat> your obedience is tied to your, your love. Obeying God out of love is such a sweet, sweet thing. Can I have an amen? Obeying God out of duty or out of law really doesn't do anything for your heart. You realize that? And so the Lord really impressed upon our hearts how much he loves us. And even today's message, I pray that you hear today's message from a spirit of love rather than from law. Because if you'll hear today's message from love, uh, it will cause you to desire to obey God in every aspect of your life. Amen. And so, Father, I pray as we get into the word today, God, that you would speak to all of our hearts. Father, let love motivate us in our obedience. Let love motivate us in everything that we do. For you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him, <laughs> they would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. Lord, bring your life through the reading of your word today. God, bring life through your word. I thank you, God, that you did not send your son into the world to condemn it, <laughs> to criticize it, to tell us how bad we are. But no, you brought your son into the world so that we might be saved through your son. And so, God, we receive our sonship. We, we come in agreement with that word of an orphan spirit leaving and making it go in Jesus' name because it is perfect love that casts out fear of that orphan heart. And so, God, I pray for a spirit of adoption, even today as we receive your word, that it would be filtered through the eyes of love rather than fear. So, God, we honor you, we praise you, and we thank you for today. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, um, I'm going to share out of the word today, um, and we have plenty of time, I believe. Um, I have narrowed this thing down <laughs> to really just one simple point that I'm going to make today. There is so much. I know we are on a reading plan. If you're a guest with us today as a church, we are reading the book of John right now, and the Apostle John has done a great job of bringing us this beautiful mosaic of who Jesus Christ is, and the book of John is just an amazing book. And if you want to engage with us in the reading of uh, John, the reading plan is still out the Welcome Center. I know we're on uh, chapter 6 this week, and typically I would be sharing out of chapter 6, but I really felt like the Lord wanted me to go back to chapter 5, because chapter 5 and chapter 6 are a turning point in, in Jesus' life, and, uh, and I think there's some really thing, some really powerful truths that we can gain from chapter 5 that I think the Lord wants to emphasize today through love, and not through the law, but through love. And uh, so I'm going to go back to chapter 5 today, and we're going to begin to dig into a little bit of chapter 5. I, if I was expositorily teaching uh, the book of John, we literally could spend three years... <laughs> on the book of John. You really could. If I was to go line by line and bring everything that is in the book of John, uh, there, there's about eight truths um, in the book, in, in just chapter five, about who Jesus is and who he declares he is. 
And I would love to go through all eight of those. And I really challenge you in our reading, really look for what is Jesus saying. Because even like today, as I go into chapter 5 of John, chapter 5 is really uh, even connects to chapter 4 after Jesus had just talked to the Samaritan woman and he said, I'm the living water. And so then in chapter 5, he actually goes to the pool of Bethesda and the water that they thought brought healing. And he begins to not only declare he's the living water, but now he demonstrates that he's the living water by healing them at the pool of Bethesda, this cripple at the pool of Bethesda. So we're going to tie these things together a little bit. And I'm just going to, but I'm just going to bring in one point today uh, as we... As you leave today, I'm praying that you will take one thing home with you and you will say, God, what are you wanting me to do personally with that one point? That's my goal today. Are you guys with me? So can everybody remember one point? Can everybody do one thing this week? Now, I'm going to give you homework at the end of the message on how we can focus in on this one point. But today through John chapter 5, that is my goal is to, to bring some truth to us about what John chapter 5 is saying because what happens after 5 and 6 is now they're starting not to listen to Jesus very well. All of a sudden, people are starting to not, uh, the Jewish people and the, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem are now starting to have some problems with what Jesus is teaching. Remember my teaching from two weeks ago. I said, we change culture or culture changes us. We change culture or culture changes us. And Jesus is in this process. He is fully engaged in chapter 5 and chapter 6 of confronting the culture with truth. The culture believes one thing. He brings a truth and he tries to show them a different truth. And as he brings this truth, either culture can change with that and they can believe and, and, and line their lives up with that or they can reject it. And what we find in chapter 5 and 6, it's getting a little more difficult in 5 and 6. Matter of fact, when you get to 6, and Jesus actually says, I'm the bread of life. If you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And what happens? They go, oh, dang, that's hard teaching. Dang, you are, you are weird. If you really think we're going to eat your body and drink your blood, but what was he doing? He was bringing a truth. He was confronting with them with a real solid truth, but they didn't understand it, did they? And it said many left. Some of the people who were disciples following Jesus at that time actually quit following him. So changing culture is not always easy. Matter of fact, changing culture, when you bring truth to culture, many times you will be rejected and they, they will persecute you and actually not want to hear what you have to say. And in our cancel culture, many times we think, Christians think that we can't go against the group. We can't offend anyone. Well, let me tell you, if your faith is private, you'll never change culture. If you believe in what my, my parents' generation thought, my parents' generation thought this, that my relationship with God was a private thing. It was between me and God. If you believe that, you will not change the culture. Amen. Your faith was never intended to be a private issue. It was never intended to be private. And it, was ne and it is never going to be always accepted by the culture. 
when we bring truth, as Jesus does in chapter 5 and 6, if they rejected Jesus with the truth he was bringing, do you think they might reject you with the truth that you might bring? Do you just think that maybe they might not like what you had to say? And so we're going to get into five and six. So whether it's at school for people who are in high school or college, or if it's you at work, our faith is to be on display. And we will be like Jesus. He says, the Great Commission, if you want to be my disciple, this isn't the Great Commission, but if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He says in the Great Commission, what? Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. When we bring truth to America and to our culture, to our school, to our jobs, sometimes it's rejected. And you know what? When we're rejected, we can't crawl in a hole and go, oh, I've been rejected. We must be de declarers of truth. And that's what John, Jesus is doing in chapter 5 and chapter 6 of John. He is presenting truth. He's confronting them with what they believe. He's trying to change culture instead of culture changing them. And they have an opportunity to, to believe what he teaches or not. And I'm going to bring some things out out of chapter 5 about what he was confronting and what they were believing. And we're going to get an opportunity today to find out do I believe what Jesus said? Does my life line up with what Jesus says? Anybody want their life lining up with what Jesus teaches? We change culture, or ch culture changes us, right? And so we need to make sure our thinking and our believing lines up with Jesus and his truth, right? Just because you think something, this might be, or just because it's on the internet, or just because you think something doesn't mean that it's truth. But Google says it, Eric. You guys, this, this site's chuckling a whole lot more than you. You young ones, you're on Google all the time. Google may not be telling you the truth. Just because you think it, doesn't mean it's true. As disciples of Jesus, are we disciples of Jesus in this house? Are we passionate lovers of Jesus? As disciples of Jesus, we must change what we believe and change our thinking so that we line up with truth. And he is truth. Man, is he truth. So as we line up with God's truth, we then have the authority to change culture with his truth. If we don't line up with truth and then we try to change culture, what do they say? You are a hypocrite. And we don't change culture. Actually, they resist us. So if your life lines up with the word of God, it gives you authority to change culture. Would you agree with that? Good. So we have to find out what God's truth is on sex, marriage, because the world's telling us that marriage can be between anybody, right? Soon it might be animals. But we're declaring truth as a church about what sex and marriage and all that stuff is, right? 
Gosh, Eric said the word sex from the pulpit. Taboo. What's the Bible say about premarital sex, living with each other? What's the Bible say about who God is? What's the Bible say about all these truths that we ought to know what the Word of God says? Can I have an amen? amen. If you don't know, you'll fall for anything. So today, we're going to explore what the truth that God was trying to bring just on one point, and that's the Sabbath. Everybody say the Sabbath. Sabbath. So turn with me to John chapter 5 in your electronic Bible or your Bible, or if you don't have either one of those, it will be on the glorious screen, the Bible on the screen. So John chapter 5, we are going to find out what God was saying and what we're to believe, what God's truth is about the Sabbath. Do you think that that might need to be changed in America? on what we believe about the Sabbath. Possibly? Okay. John chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to dive into this. And if he, is there no one in the sound to get John 5, my PowerPoint? See if we can get it pulled up. There we go. All right. So let's read for a little bit here. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. We don't know which festival was that, that was, but every male was required to go to at least three festivals as the law, uh, the code of ethics of the Jewish law was. They had to go to at least three, and Jesus is going to one of these festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool. So if you will, the Jerusalem was a walled city, and one of the gates to go into that city was called the Sheep Gate, and so this is where this is at on the outside of the temple mount. It's outside of where they did the, the services. And so it, there is a, by the sheep gate, which is in Aramaic called Beth, Bethsaida, Beth, Bethesda, excuse me. And so Bethesda, Beth means house or house of mercy or house of grace is this pool. And uh, it is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Do you think you would want healed after 38 years? Yeah. Now just to give a little context to the pool of Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda was about the size of a football field. The pool of Bethesda was a very large water pool, and there were two pools. There was an upper pool that was originally part of the reservoir system where it collected water, and then there was a lower pool, and the, and the disabled would get in that pool, and then the water would be stirred, and the fork, the, 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 what's the word I'm trying to find? The tradition, or what was spoken of, was the water would be stirred by an angel. Whoever got in the water first would get healed, and they would come out. And so that's the pool, and this was, in, in, to be honest with you, the Bible doesn't say that an angel came to stir the water. It reports what the people believed in that. And, and so there's a lot of history and debate it, theologically whether it was an angel. But this has also got to realize this has been influenced by Greek mythology in this area like crazy. And they had healing, they had healing baths 
in this same area where they would go and they believed people would get healed by subterranean springs and they would drink the water, they would do all this folklore. It's, it's what they believed in that culture of where healing came from. And so this pool was not necessarily a godly place where the angel came. It was something in the community where people went who were sick and they believed they would recover. And it was about a football side. This is kind of a rendition of what it looked like. The upper one on the right, the lower one, and you can see the wall of the temple. This is only a, a look-alike. They thought that this, because John described it in, in, in his book of having five porticles, porticles, which is five porches, and I know I've got to walk over here, but this would be classified as a porch, where they go in this porch, this porch, this porch, this porch. But at any rate, they thought that, that John's rendition of this was not true until they excavated it in the 1900s and they actually found this and they actually realized that while John was not just making this up and here's a picture of the archaeological part of it that's one of the pools and look how deep it is it was 64 feet deep it wasn't a shallow pool um, and there's two of these and that's one of them just to give you an idea of what this pool looked like and Jesus had declared he was the living water in the chapter before, and now he's coming to a pool where everybody thinks they can get healed when the water gets stirred. And so he's now going to confirm some things about who he is in chapter 5, that he truly is the living water, and he is the water that brings healing. Amen? So we're going to read. So I wanted to give you a little bit about the pool of Bethesda, and, and there was a lot of, um, yeah, I'm not going to go into all that because it would take a lot of time to give you the history behind pool. But if you'll Google that, there's all kinds of interesting stuff that is for sure 100% true. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, right? You guys are fun today. So let's go on with the scripture. There's a lot to learn. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Now, I love this little this sentence here. When Jesus saw the guy lying there. Now, we're, gonna talk, we're talking about hundreds of people lying on mats in this area. This was a busy, busy place because everybody wanted to be healed. And so Jesus picks out one guy. One guy gets healed, but he really stirs up the pot when Jesus heals this guy. So let's read this. Do you want to get well, Jesus asked him. No, dang, I just want to sit here by the pool and be sick all my life. But he doesn't answer the question. He doesn't say, yes, I want to be healed. What's he say? Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At that once, at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. We could preach a message on that itself. Because we believe in healing around here, amen? So let's continue. The day on which this took place, everybody say the day on which this took place, was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no clue, no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. 
Jehovah Sneaky slipped on out. His work had been done. He was stirring the water. A different kind of water was being stirred. The water of unbelief, the water of what they were believing had been stirred. <laughs> later, oops, later Jesus found him at the Temple Mount, or at the temple, which was right beside it, about a football field away. And he said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Boy, that'll preach. You don't think sin has a consequence in your life? I could preach, but I'm not going there. We're going to take my own one point. Besides that, that's not on Google. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Hmm. Now look at 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Now if you take a look at the word persecute in the Greek, it means to emotionally and physically hurt you. And Jesus says this, in, in Jesus' defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. It is not lawful to work on the Sabbath, right? For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also even calling himself, or he was calling God his own fathers. That was the second thing they believed he was being wrong about. And the third thing, making himself equal with God. So there were three things they felt like Jesus was breaking. I'm only going to cover the Sabbath. If you go into this scripture, you can look where he calls God his father and, and how he's equal with God. And he goes into this beautiful thing. And I, who knows? I may even share on it next week. Who knows? It's really, really good stuff. But we'll see. But today I'm going to centralize on the Sabbath. Jesus works on the Sabbath. So why were they so mad at Jesus for healing the guy on the Sabbath? Why was, I mean, let's put this in context as to why the religious people and even the Jewish people, why were they having such a hard time with Jesus not only healing on the Sabbath, but they, the leaders were mad because he had told the man to pick up his bed mat and walk. It's not lawful for you to pick your bed mat up and walk. So Jesus is confronting what they believe about the Sabbath here. And there's a whole lot I could preach on even in that about Jesus and how Sabbath is for man, but we're, we're, we're not going to go there. There's too much to go. So, why were they so angry and what is the context? Because context is everything. So what is their truth? Their truth is this. It is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat on the Sabbath. Is that true? Quietness. So, what I want to do is I want to go into what is the law of the Sabbath? What is the context of why these people were looking at this? And then I want to make some contrast and some comparison to us and what God is speaking to us. So the word Sabbath, which is rest, which we've been in a Sabbath season, and Tom is on a Sabbath season. And so what is Sabbath? We know the word Sabbath is rest in the Jewish 
um, calendar and the Jewish law, they call it Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat. In the Jewish, Shabbat is from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night, right? And they celebrate Shabbat to this day, call it Sabbath, whatever you want to call it, but it is a day of rest. We celebrated on Sunday. It changed after the resurrection of the Christ, resurrection of Jesus and Protestants and Catholics. And, well, Catholics still do Saturday Mass too, but we, it was changed to Sunday when it was commemorated and because of the resurrection. And so we now celebrate Sabbath on Sunday. That's why we're here today, worshiping the Lord, right? And so it is a Sabbath rest. But what is the whole thing about where God first instituted the Sabbath and why did he institute the Sabbath and what was it all about and why were they so honked off mad that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath? And so we know from the beginning, and I'm not going to go to Genesis today, we know this, hopefully you know the story of creation. In seven, six days, God created the heavens and the earth and man and animals and all that. And on the seventh day, he what? Rest was what? Man's first day. And so it's out of rest that you then work. And so Sabbath was instituted by God from the very, very beginning in creation and how he wanted man to rest on the seventh day. So God gave that to Adam and Eve, right? We know that. Adam and Eve is the ones who received that, that rhythm that God gave them. And they were to rest from work. And this was all before the curse and this was all before sin. That rest was part of God's idea from the very beginning. It wasn't because of sin. It wasn't because of the, the fall of man at all. That rest and Sabbath was instituted by God from the very beginning. Do you guys believe that? Okay. Then, 2,500 years later, everybody say 2,500, 2500. comes along Moses. So we're talking about a span of a lot of years. We had already had Adam, who lived 930 years. We already had Noah, who lived 950 years in the flood, and man was destroyed, and man was repopulated the earth. We already had Abraham, who lived 175 years. They lived a lot longer back then, guys. And God had to set a limitation on man's age, and he did that. And then we have Moses who lived 120 years. So we have Moses coming on the scene, and this is what we're, and I'm, I'm going back in history so that you have the context of why these rabbis and these Jewish leaders were so ticked off at Jesus as he's trying to change the way they think. So let's go to Exodus 20, 20, chapter 20. And we're going to read the Ten Commandments. This is the Ten Commandments that Moses got on Mount Sinai. And he brings them down. And this is one of the commandments. And what does it start out with? Remember the Sabbath. Why do you think he's saying remember it? Because he instituted it all the way back to the beginning, right? And here we are 2,500 years later-ish. That's general. We don't know exactly 2,500 years and 38 days and 42 hours and... 
It's, it's, it's about. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Everybody say, Sabbath to the Lord your God. Today is a Sabbath to the Lord our God. On it you shall not do any work, either you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your animals, your foreign res foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. May God add his blessing to the reading of his Ten Commandments. Amen. Then a little further down in, in Exodus 31, we're still with Moses. Moses has to reinstitute this and re-say it again. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Moses, and he speaks, he speaks to Moses. And the Lord says to Moses, Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Mm -mm, I can make me want to dance. The Lord who makes you holy. I do not make myself holy myself. You are the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Ouch. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from my people. Wow. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from my people, my family. For six days' work, for six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is the day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. Wow. The Israelites are to preserve the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. Well, man was not observing the Sabbath, were they? Now, I'm not going to get into the theological part of this because we could go. Why were they, you know, when you sinned in the Old Testament, sin was punishable with death. Sin separated you from God. And God did not like sin. God did not like it. But God was trying to do something so much. He, the Old Testament was being built for what God would do through Jesus Christ in the New Testament of how Jesus would be the perfect one. And the Old Testament showed you that you could not do all the laws and all the regu regulations. It was not possible for man to do that himself. That Jesus was the, the atoning sacrifice that only could that be done through him. He is the one that makes us holy. Yes. But at any rate, I'm reinstituting the law of the Sabbath. One more, Isaiah 58. Now, Isaiah is now another 700 years later than Moses. So now we're at around 3,200 years that have passed with the Jewish people, and God brings Isaiah the prophet, and Isaiah the prophet prophesies to the children of Israel, and Isaiah is telling them to repent and to turn back to God. This is the passage where he goes into the fasting that he requires is not a fasting of food, but a broken and contrite heart. God will not despise. And so God re-emphasizes the Sabbath. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, 
Then you will find joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in the triumph. Ooh, here's what I like, the promise. If I obey the Lord, then you will ride, you will find joy in the Lord. Anybody want some joy? If you, then you will find joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land. Anybody need some tr- winning? <laughs> and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Church, this is why the scribes were so mad at Jesus when he healed the guy at the pool of Bethesda. This is why they were so ticked off because Jesus was doing work and he was encouraging someone else to do work on the Sabbath. The question I always get when people ask me this, well, what is work? If I can't work on the Sabbath, what is work? Well, that's the same problem they had in the Jewish time as well. What is work? What is lawful and what is not lawful to do for God's people on the Sabbath? The Bible verses we just read do not tell you what work is, do they? Did you find anything in the Bible that we just read from the Torah? That's what the Jewish people went by. Do you see anything in those three scriptures that we read about what work was? Hmm, why do you think that is? I don't know, Sherlock. Well, neither did they. And it bothered them. The Bible does not list the work activities prohibited on the Sabbath, but it does say you're to rest, you're to delight yourself in the Lord, and you're to do no work, and you're to make it holy to God, and you're not to go your own way and to do your own pleasure. Right? So the rabbis, what they did is they wanted to have specifics because they wanted to have a relationship with the law rather than a relationship with God. They wanted to know what they could and couldn't do. And so they created what they call the Babylonian Talmud. And this is a code of ethics for the Jewish law because they wanted more specifics on what no work meant. Are you ready for that? They wanted clarity. They wanted to know what they could penalize people for, what they could put people to death for, and they wanted to control and make sure everybody was lining up They were being a little legalistic. I didn't hear that. So what they did, guys, history here, they created an oral law on top of the written law that we just read that gave the specifics of what you could and couldn't do and what was banned. Do you want to hear some of the stuff that you could and couldn't do? And I want to know where they got this, because I don't find anything in the Bible that says you can't do this stuff on the, on the Sabbath. Are you ready for this? So in Jesus' day, the rabbis were very strict, I said, and you could not pick up anything on the Sabbath, including your bed mat, right? Why? Because it weighed more than two dry figs. So in the written code, in the Talmud, what they began to do is they began to put determinations on what they couldn't do. So if you lifted anything that weighed more than this, 
what am I going to do when I need to lift my wife? No. Two dry figs. That's your object lesson. So their code of ethics was if you took more than that to lift it, you couldn't lift it. So was the bed mat heavier than two figs? So they were mad because Jesus was having him pick up his bed mat because they weighed more than this. Anybody want to live like that? Oh, you think it's over? It ain't over yet. Because this Jewish law of Shabbat has passed down through the generations. And you know what the Shabbat says in the, in the, in the oral code now? Because it's still in force. And those who are Jewish, they praise God for them. I mean, they are, they are those who are practicing Jews do this. Here are just some examples that have been carried for, forward through the years. I was going to get into the 39 things that the rabbis came up with but I didn't want to bore you. I thought this would be more fun. <laughs> Here are some of the examples of today what Jew Jews refrain from on Shabbat. Ready? I'll let you see them. Writing, erasing, and tearing. Business transactions, driving or riding in cars or other vehicles. Shopping, using the telephone, turning on or off anything which uses electricity, including lights, radios, television, computer, air conditioners, and alarm clocks. My golly, you'd be late for church if it wasn't for that. <laughs> Cooking, baking, kindling a fire, gardening, and grass mowing, doing laundry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Girls go, yeah. I told you, husband, I wasn't supposed to be doing laundry on Sunday. <laughs> now, Sabbath for the Jew is very serious. And I don't want to make fun of it because I honor the Jews. Man, I love them and I thank God for them. And what they will say is we have to prepare for Shabbat or Sabbath in advance. So that on the day we celebrate in luxury without doing any of the actual work on Shabbat. So they actually are preparing for honoring the Lord, where in America, we just let it happen. So I think there's something we can learn from preparing for Sabbath instead of staying up till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning and doing all that we want and please, and then you come half-baked. Are you really giving honor to the Lord? I mean, that's just, I mean, I'm not trying to step on any people, but are we preparing for Sabbath? Are we preparing our hearts for it is what the Jew does. It goes a little further, and here's what the, because the, the, I, I looked this up on a Jewish site, and it said, we have to prepare for Shabbat in advance so that on the day we don't break Shabbat. For example, lights which will be needed on Shabbat are turned on before Shabbat. Automatic timers may be used for lights. And some appliances, as long as they have been set before Shabbat. The refrigerator may be used, but again, we have to ensure, now some of this is extreme, but we have to ensure that it uses it. The refrigerator may be used, but again, we have to ensure that it, its use does not engender any of the forbidden Shabbat activities. Thus, the fridge light should be disconnected before Shabbat by unscrewing the bulb slightly 
and a freezer whose fan is activated when the door is opened may not be used. Another example, we may not cook or light a fire, so we cook before Shabbat and keep the food warm through special methods that do not violate the Sabbath. Now this sounds crazy to us Americans. Can I have an amen? But this is exactly why they were so ticked off at Jesus. Because the rule, the relationship with the rule, is what they were with. And so it puts it in context as to why they were so mad at him. So when they wanted to kill Jesus because he told the lame man to pick up his bed mat on the Sabbath, they knew Jesus couldn't be representing God because the law forbid the mat guy to pick up this, right? Or did he? Was Jesus breaking man's law? Or was Jesus breaking God's law? They believed they were doing right. Remember what I said at the beginning of my message? You can think you're doing right, but it may not necessarily be right. But Jesus is confronting what they believe in order to change culture. And Jesus' answer tells us a lot. Because Jesus defends himself and he says, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus saw a need on the Sabbath, and Jesus is not discrediting the Sabbath. He's actually making a statement that Sabbath is definitely rest, but that you can do good on the Sabbath. Matter of fact, we know from the scriptures that Jesus obeyed the Sabbath because in Luke 23, 56, he, he said, on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. And this was his disciples and Jesus. And then Matthew 12, 12, Jesus said, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So he was trying to shift what they believed about the Sabbath and they were, they were in this written code and they were, they were so legalistic about what they thought the Sabbath was. Were they actually in a love relationship with God or were they in a love relationship with the rule? That's not a hidden question. Or a, they were more in love with the rule than they were with God. Jews had become so legalistic and controlling that the Sabbath was no longer about rest and honoring or delighting in God, but it was now about what they should do. Our culture has swung way the other way, and we do whatever we want to do. When I came here this morning, I saw people golfing. I saw people doing whatever they want to do. Many Christians are not here today in other services. They're doing whatever they want to do when they want to do it. We've swung way the other way, and we don't make it holy, and we don't prepare for it like the Jew did. 
So my question to us today is, what do you believe about the Sabbath? Does your belief need to change and line up with the Scripture? Are we just as guilty as the Jews were in their believing? Do you do whatever pleases you on the Sabbath? Do you work on the Sabbath? Do you rest on the Sabbath? Do you delight yourself in the Lord for 24 hours? Close your eyes for a moment. Ask God to speak to you. What do you actually believe the Sabbath should be? Now, I remember a day when no restaurants were open, no mall was open, no gas stations were open, and America shut down. You have to be probably over 50 to remember that. Tori, when I was your age, you couldn't go watch a movie. You couldn't get gas. Stuff was shut down. Is our culture a little different than that, sunshine? Culture changes. We change culture or culture changes us. What do we actually believe about the Sabbath, though? Now, Karen and I really, really struggled this with this when our boys were athletes. Because guess when they wanted to play the tournaments? Saturday and Sunday. And when there was a tournament on Saturday and you won, guess when the championship game was? Yeah. And Karen and I were going, is culture going to change us or are we going to change culture? And so we didn't let the boys play in travel ball in the mornings. But as soon as church was over, we let them play. I had many coaches mad because Abe's team really, really did well. And there was a lot of championships on Sunday. And they were always mad because he wasn't at those morning games. We felt like we compromised and we were making a difference because we were trying to change culture. Or was culture changing us? But I want my boys to experience it. They might get a college education. They might. And yeah, both of them played a year in college. Great. I know to this day my son struggles detailing cars on Sunday. We're having a birthday party today for Abraham. He's 26 today. Bless my wife. We and her worked like crazy yesterday getting all the food done so that we could rest and enjoy family and the Lord and delight ourselves in the Lord today rather than making food today because we're trying to change and get our hearts wrapped around what is the Lord asking of us as a family to honor the Sabbath because it's been stolen from America 
and it has been hijacked by culture, and I have been part of the hijacking. I'm not going to put my values on you and say you have to do it exactly like me. Then I would be like the Pharisees who were so mad at Jesus for healing somebody on the Sabbath. But I also have to be a minister of the gospel who confronts us with truth because it's truth that changes culture. And what is God asking as we go through this Sabbath? Rest. Are we resting today? Are we, are we honoring the Lord in the Sabbath? And are, is there anything God's wanting to change in our thinking today? Is there anything God is asking to change in your heart? What do you believe about the Sabbath? Sunday as a holy day unto the Lord. I'm preaching, I'm working. But I believe it falls under that I'm doing good to help. I believe it's just like Jesus healing the, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. We're declaring truth and we're helping people to grow in their walk with God. I believe that is lawful. I believe it's part of why we're here to celebrate as a communion, a community and have Sabbath together. They went to temple. Jesus did the same thing. But what do you believe? Does your believing on Sabbath need to change? Question mark. And I want to, and that's why I prefaced this message with, it is in the confounds of love, not law, that we make these decisions. That it is God wooing a people's heart out of love to come back to me, to put me as a priority. Will you put me? This is a sign of our covenant. This is the people will know that you are in covenant with me as you honor the Sabbath. That this would come out of our heart and our devotion for the Lord. Because I've seen it the other way. Where it's, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. Anybody seen that? And that doesn't woo anybody's heart. You just conform based upon the law rather than a heart devoted to the Lord. That no God, I, we, Karen and I have started changing things about our Sabbath since we read this book. And so there's this thing where we're sitting before the Lord on Sunday afternoons and we're resting and we're enjoying the Lord. Taking walks, talking about God. What's he wanting for our family? What is the Lord saying to us in the season? Part of our homework this week is going to literally be reading chapter 8 of the book sacred rhythms that we have been reading and it's on the sabbath <laughs> it's very convicting by the way so i say again truth changes culture what's your truth going to be about the sabbath what is god going to ask of you to look at your sabbath differently If you would mind, just close your eyes for a moment. Would you allow the Spirit of God to talk to you right now?
Do you do whatever you please on God's holy day? Do you work on the Sabbath? Or do you rest? Do you delight yourself in the Lord? Or do you do what pleases you? Are you convicted? Is God tugging on your heart? <coughs> what will you do? If you're online and watching, what are you going to do? What are you going to believe? Jesus always changed culture by confronting truth. And we do the same. If you will close your eyes, I'm going to read Isaiah 58, 13 again to us. Because there was a promise with Isaiah's word that you would find joy in the Lord if you honor the Sabbath. There was a promise in Isaiah's prophetic word that you would rise in victory in the land if you honored the Sabbath. But he also said he wanted it tied to your heart. Listen to the word of the living God in Isaiah 58. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, and from doing as you please on my holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight. And the Lord's holy day honorable. And if you honor it by not going your own way. And not doing as you please. Or speaking idle words. Words that just don't matter. Then, then you, New Covenant, you will find joy in the Lord. And New Covenant, I will cause you to ride in such triumph over the heights of the land of Newcastle and this region. And you will feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Father, I pray today, as you're convicting my heart and as you are confronting us with truth about the Sabbath, that yes, we can do good as Jesus did, but that we're also still called to honor the Sabbath like Jesus did, and we're still called to make it holy. And it's a sign of our covenant with you. Father God, I ask that you would forgive us for when we have made Sabbath about us and not about honoring you. Father, I ask that you would convict Karen and I for dishonoring 
your Sabbath in years past. And Father, we as a people, we commit to honoring you and making Sabbath and making rest truly a rhythm of our lifestyle. That we would look forward to the Sabbath day rest. That we would delight in it and that, God, we would begin to shift our culture back to honoring God Almighty on this day. Forgive us for losing our influence in this culture by surrendering this truth to the world. Oh, God, forgive us. I pray for a weightiness to come upon our hearts, a conviction of the power of the Spirit that we might love you enough to press into this truth about Sabbath. Not out of legalisticness, but truly out of love. You are calling us to move towards you on the Sabbath in a new way. You're calling us to move to you. You are calling us to love. You're saying you love us. You're saying just move towards me. God, may we move towards you with the Sabbath in a new way in our families. And Father, I thank you for helping us in that. So Lord, today, you are the Lord of the Sabbath. Today, God, we surrender to you today. And we say, God, May you have your way today, even as we leave this place. May today be a Sabbath rest where we honor you and we put you in the place of first love. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. here is your action plan. Oops, went too far. If you want to take a picture of it, I also will put it on Facebook group. There's a lot of reading I'm asking you to do, guys. How many love to read? Leaders or readers? How many love to read? How many love to read? How, oh, man, we got readers here, don't we? We love to read at New Covenant. So I'm just asking you to reread the two scriptures I said today, Exodus 20 and Isaiah 58. Get them in your heart. But would you commit with me to reading chapter 8 of Sacred Rhythms? If you don't have that book, I will give you one. I think it's important. There is some powerful things in chapter 8 on the Sabbath rest that will really, really help you in that book. I love the thing that she, she, she gives an example of how she was working herself to pieces, and she was working, 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 never resting on Sabbath, and how her life fell apart, and, uh, and, and the Lord reinstituted Sabbath for her. And it's a really, it's a really neat testimony. But I encourage you to read chapter 8 in Sacred Rhythms, and then discuss God's truth about Sabbath with your family, and discuss what changes you need to make in your family based upon this truth. And then we are on John 7 and 8 this week in the Here Journal, and uh, journal something on what God highlights to you. And we are memorizing John chapter 1 right now. So we are, we are memorizing each verse. So John chapter 1, we've done 1 through 7 so far. And this week we're adding chapter, verse 8 to that reading. So it's really, really good stuff. Stand up with me. Heavy message, maybe. Heavy message. 
but we need to make sure our thinking and our believing lines up with what Jesus' word says, right? Just because you think you're doing it okay, maybe you're not, right? But we want this to be motivated out of love and not law, right? And so we're discovering God's truth on Sabbath this week. So I encourage you to dive into it and see what is God wanting to change in you when it comes to your revelation of the Sabbath. Father, we thank you for today, God. I pray your blessing over the body of Christ. I pray, oh God, that you would reveal yourself and your truth and that, God, we would conform our lives to your truth and that your truth would then change our culture. Father, we do not want to be changed by culture, but we want to change culture by living the truth of who you are. Father, bless this word. Let it fully go into our hearts, accomplishing what you want it to accomplish. Let it not return void, but let it accomplish exactly that which you wanted it to accomplish. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. 17 after. God bless you. Have a great day. We love you. Be blessed.